So I've been implementing a library based on a specification recently. A binary file format specification. That sounds dangerous. What's what's the... <laughs> Not particularly dangerous, but uh, pretty entertaining. And... Uh, Sometimes the spec is not everything you wish from it, but it's it's well enough specified. So I'll likely be talking more about the reasons why I'm doing this at some point. But for now, suffice to say, uh, I'm implementing an ID3 2v3 library in Elixir. So ID3 is the metadata format typically used for mp3 files but it can be used in any file really and i fondly remember seeing it in winamp in the olden times yeah those were the times is it somehow related to exif or are they two different beasts i don't know exactly what exif is i've I've definitely heard it heard of it but it's the metadata format used for uh, uh, jpeg images and so on uh, okay. I think I, you've used it, <laughs> even if you don't want to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, E-X-I-F. Yes, yeah. yes, I've seen it. Um, I have no idea if they're related. I doubt it. Cool. I mean, they do the the similar thing. Yeah, e- EXIF contains an X in the name, so it's probably XML-based. I wouldn't bet on it, but it's not impossible. I hope it's just an extensible in like information format or something. ID3, I wouldn't be surprised if it sort of predates popular use of XML, but it's a binary format, which has been all sorts of fun where I typically don't get to toy around with binary much, but this is the type of format where it's like, oh yeah, the first three bytes should be ID and three. Then you will have some a size definition that's four bytes long and <laughs> follow the this odd format because of these reasons and uh, then you have two bytes of flags which are of course uh, two bytes so you can have up to 16 flags we use four of them spread across the two bytes of course (laughs) not all in one byte lovely and then then you keep unpacking it like that and uh, in elixir it's really nice to do because you have binary pattern matching so you can just say i expect this or like have a number of different function heads. Like, if I find this, I do this. If I find this, I do this. Uh, and then you just keep going. It's been it's been pretty nice to work with. I did spend uh, a few hours at a conference swearing a lot uh, at it, as you know. Yeah, I, I sat by your side and, and pointed at code, I think I did. Yeah, you were very helpful. Unfortunately, we were sort of working off of the wrong assumptions because I was mangling some of the bytes when I was trying to read from the file because I was trying to be clever oh. and doing it poorly. Uh, I was <laughs> so I was reading it in 2048 byte chunks because I was trying to work with whatever uh, file stream API gave me. Oh, and yeah. after the first 2048, I think I just accidentally prepended instead of appended by the bytes i were was pulling so you yeah you changed the order of them yeah that's no good that's no good it's it's you know uh elixir only has one reduce function uh and and that's a typical thing that bites you in these cases where it absolutely needs two okay which one 
Or are we missing? Uh, the other one. <laughs> the, I think we we have a oh, you mean left like reduce, uh, but fold we, left and fold right? Yes, exactly. So, what does fold right do? Does it just do the entire thing in reverse, or yep? Does it start from the end? Yes. Okay, but it still reverses the whole thing, I guess. Yes. So when you're working with lists in the order you do in Elixir, where you mm. always uh, put something at the front of the list, Foldr is a much more natural way to work. But would it start from the end of the list? Or would it start from the beginning of the list and just not reverse them? No, it would start from the end of the list. So oh, if you're working nice. with something streaming, it wouldn't work anyway. <laughs> it would be incredibly inefficient in Elixir, I imagine. Uh, maybe. Because popping the head is cheap, while uh, finding the tail is expensive. Yeah, but you need to do to work through the whole list anyway. Yeah, but if you want to deal with the tail, uh, you end up making copies typically. Yeah, it could be that you need a lazy language for this. <laughs> yeah, or, or a different list implementation. Yep. All right, but anyway. I solved. <laughs> I've solved my mangling of the bytes, and then I figured out, like, oh, I can actually just open a file handler and call, like, io read and read the exact number of bytes I need, so I don't need to deal with chunking um, at all. But, uh, yeah, it, it's been just a ton of fun to deal with sort of one of these dense binary formats. It's very different from what I typically do, but it's still very much typical programming it's also super fun to realize how silly fast uh, your test tweet is when all you're doing is mangling data in your memory and maybe reading some files yeah it's so nice to not have to go out on a mocked network or uh, interact with a database or something yeah yeah it's just like oh yeah i i mean i can call this function and so one typical test I end up doing is like, oh, I'll build this data structure, shove it into my encoding function, because one important part of this library is that it should both read and write ID3 tags. When we last, when you last saw it, it was parsing, uh, but parsing a bunch of stuff. Now it's parsing even more, and it's encoding all of it. Nice. <laughs> so uh, just taking the data structure, shoving it into my sort of encode tag function, getting a binary back, shoving that into my parsing function and making sure I get sane results uh, when going back and forth through it. That has been that has been fun and it's just instant. So fast, so, so fast. Even when I was doing things sort of suboptimally, it was really fast and then I changed a bunch of things to sort of not read the whole file, for example, into memory, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it's been super fun to work on. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely want to be talking more about it at some point. I actually have a blog post that I've written, but not edited yet, uh, about some of the things I also found while working with the spec, because this spec is fairly old. And it sort of predates most of... It, it definitely predates common music streaming and sort of cloud services and SaaS and all of that. <laughs> so you find things in the spec, like the play counter, which is supposed to be incremented by the player every time the file is played. Cool. What's 
the what's the allowed range of the play counter? Oh, it can grow indefinitely up to the max for what a frame can be. So how big a frame can be. And a frame in ID3v2.3 is max 16 megabytes. I wonder what happens if you put just random garbage 16 megabytes into that field when when other when players are trying to read it i don't know if they actually read it i imagine the number of players that actually read the play count is incredibly low it might be that xmpp or whatever the winamp look alike for linux that might be looking at it uh, maybe foobar is looking at it i'm not sure interesting so that's one of the curiosities with this i'm uncertain what of like which of these frames the frame definitions are actually commonly used or somewhat used i did find references to so my next favorite one is the popularity meter which allows you to rate a song's quality like how much you like it as i assume on a scale from 0 to 255 which is which is a fun scale and that opinion is registered along with an email address and you can have well up to your limit of 16 megabytes of opinions stored or ratings stored uh in the frame so i found reference that to that uh, windows sort of metadata parsing will look for the popularity meter to show a star rating uh, i didn't read close enough to figure out if if it would look only for sort of the first one or aggregate one based on all of the ratings or whatever it does. And it's also like a five star. It wasn't a 255 star rating. So it has to sort of put some breakpoints in there for what's half a star, what's what's a star. But it's sort of inspiring to me, the amount of sort of the idea that a f- a particular file would travel around and just gather ratings and play count and sort of build up this history. I get really, really strong uh, where's party vibes from this. Yeah, and if it had an MD5 sum, that's going to (laughs) break. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's like, oh, this album is MD5'd from, from the Ripper or whatever. Yeah, yeah, not after playing it and rating it. Yeah. But I mean, th- that was also common, like someone editing the ID3 tags because they didn't like the way they were set up. Uh, that would also, of course, break the MD3. But then there was, there's also sort of the commercial frame, which lets you define things you can buy. <laughs> How long the, to which date the offer is valid, uh, what the pricing is, and <laughs> sort of urls for finding and buying these things so you could show i guess uh links to additional purchases while listening to a song or maybe more likely you could offer a sample sort of oh this is 10 seconds of the song or something and here you can buy the rest i guess i don't know exactly what they imagined it would be used for but there are some type definitions in there or an enum, uh, uh, yeah, an enum uh, that sort of 
shows some of the options that they imagined, but there's an other as well. So. It sounds really nice. Like you could could put here are our tour dates for 2023. Come look at our concerts yeah. or listen to our concerts. You could definitely do that. And I, I feel like the popularity meter, if you had an online platform where people could sort of rate a product or something, you could dump those into the file when someone buys them. To, uh, I mean, there there's a lot, bunch of weird stuff you could probably could do with this. You can put events in it just to mark like, oh, this is where the song begins. This is the bridge. This is the chorus. Or you can put in custom events that are sort of user-defined. So if you wanted to trigger your pyrotechnics off of parts of the song or whatever. This is also the format that contains the podcast chapter and the table of contents system that's used in podcast apps these days. And being able to embed artwork and all of that stuff. An ID3 tag maxes out at 256 megabytes. Wow. Uh, yeah. I was thinking if you had one of these MP3 files walking around a network of friends, and then because the nature of, of um, where's parties, you quite soon get a split brain or network partition because everyone goes home and listens to things and raid them and do other stuff. And then they come back again and start sharing again. And then you get two MP3 files, which have the same name, of course, but different metadata. Uh, so obviously we need a way to merge that metadata in some, some kind of way. And it would be really exciting to have that built into the file format and also quite stupid. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've also thought about that sort of, could you reconcile uh, different files that have diverged and uh, the play count currently as currently implemented i guess we'll have to suggest v 2.5 but unfortunately v 2.4 didn't have particular uptake so we <laughs> sort of the world is still somewhere between 2.3 and 2.4 in adoption but yeah the play counter is just an integer so right now it really really could not could not resolve what are new listens and what are old listens. Uh, the popularity meter is, it would be fairly easy to merge to different ones of those. The only thing you'd potentially lose is updated ratings from existing raters. It would be interesting. I guess this is a, an ideal use for, I was going to say blockchain, but I, I honestly think you're, you get away with CRDTs or something. You better CRDT in the ID3 tag. Merkle trees. So you can re reconcile these types yeah. of things. Or or maybe you just store an event log. Uh, I mean, it would be it would be something similar, but you could store an event log about what has happened and then then make sure it can be consistently resolved <laughs> to an end, consistent end state. That would be that would be a really really fun thing and. You absolutely could do it because you can embed arbitrary files and stuff. You can embed arbitrary comments. Uh, there's there's a ton of options for embedding uh, up to 16 megabyte frames and multiple of them. So you have about 256 megs of space to do to build the future of MP3s. Now, unfortunately, no one deals with MP3 files anymore. So this, most people don't deal significantly with mp3 files anymore is more of the truth but 
this does mean that all this fun stuff I'm discovering isn't essentially dead. Uh, Spotify will not build their backend on the ID3 tag for some stupid reason. So this will probably never happen. Something I'm curious to do, if I can find some time for a really dumb project, is to build um, probably an online player which lets different people play the same MP3 and sort of rate it and interact with it in different ways and just try to exercise the entirety of the ID3 uh, v2.3 format because it's it's an exciting place full of full of wondrous things i really get that impression it seems seems ahead of its time and it's a real shame that the streaming services went for a walled garden instead of open standards but that's that's how it is yeah and this would not have worked for i mean imagine putting an id3 tag on a sort of youtube video or something even if it's on an open platform you often want to stream it from the web and like this was a file centric metadata format and the world is less and less file centric which i mostly view as a problem because files are are a pretty good thing in many cases but it well as we talked about sort of crdts and trying to reconcile diverging files that's not built in that's not something people thought about at that point and it's starting to become table stakes that there can be sort of collaborative editing or something akin to that if you want to if you want a good file format now and i think that's actually something I, I do want to dig into at some point. Sort of, okay, what does it mean to do? Uh, this was actually something I spoke, spoke to people at the conference about. Like, what it, does it mean to do local first things? Now, these people particularly were very sort of local first, and lots of crypt, encryption and da, 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 da. And then you end up with in the decentralized space, not necessarily Web3, but decentralized. And... I'm not super, I don't feel like everything requires super encryption and I don't feel like everything requires sort of zero trust edge computing. <laughs> the things I have on my devices, I, I'm okay if coordination sometimes requires a central party, but but yeah, I, I would like to see and, and toy around with file formats that you can keep separate copies of the files separate for a long time and then sort of reconcile them so some kind of offline first thinking yeah yeah and i don't know that space well i've poked at it at different times but i definitely would want to know more it's definitely a place where you start falling straight into papers uh, but yeah if i could find the time i definitely want to dig into it yeah I suppose you wouldn't mind having a cloning machine so you could start a a small army of clones that could read papers or something. 
I'm not sure I would be getting along super well with myself. I would very often try to occupy the same social space and it would be resource contention. Absolutely. So you would need some kind of... of Speech time contention. Yeah. <laughs> some kind of uh, protocol to to load balance yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Live collaboration, something, something. Yeah. Maybe you could start by putting each clone on each clone was uh, one clone per continent. Hmm. Yeah, that could potentially work. So Antarctic lores, Europe lores, and so on. Yeah. Antarctic would be cold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe this isn't one of my best ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I also just watched the Apple WWDC keynote and stuff are you inspired are you going to buy hardware i think i know what my next laptop is because i've been waiting for to see if they do a redesign of the macbook air because i don't know of any computer that i feel beats like current m1s for or m series chips for getting good battery life good performance in a travel friendly laptop so the M1 MacBook Air is already a fantastic machine for that. And they released the M2 MacBook Air, which has some more performance. It's a little bit lighter, I believe, and the same thickness, so very thin all across. Comes in a nice new color that I rather like and higher uh, max memory. So it goes to 24 gigs now. And they threw in their video accelerators so video encoding and decoding accelerators and a bunch of just general improvements so nothing nothing revolutionary but it was the redesign i was sort of looking for and now there's two usb-c plugs headphone jack and uh their what is it called magsafe so you can have a sev separate power plug and still use U two USB-C, which uh, on the previous Air, I think they just had two USB-Cs, which meant if you were charging it, you couldn't use both unless you had passed through something. It, it sounds like they are finding their way back to their, I would say, core audience, but I don't know really who, <laughs> to the developer audience or to the audience who actually want to use the ports yeah i mean the previous macbook pro release was an impressive step in the right direction in many many ways uh, they added ports 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 they made it slightly heavier uh, and added a ton of good stuff uh, with that uh, they gave it tons of performance uh, it's expensive as all get out but yeah, it, it's a machine that's very hard to um, to not appreciate if you like macOS at all. And I've been fine with macOS for many, many years. I've been mostly working on Linux now. And if I wasn't getting this one, I would probably be looking at the framework laptop. But the framework laptop is sort of a, a general purpose uh, laptop. It's not a thin and light. I don't believe. And uh, like, yeah, it's supposed to be quite good with Linux. It's a great 
repairability story and all of that. But what I consider for sort of the travel and convenience computer, which this would be, this would probably be what I use in the house and when I'm traveling. That's more of a special purpose device in how I use it. It's, I don't super mind that it's closed down and unrepairable. I, I don't love it, but I don't know that I'd be super happy with any other uh, with any laptop I buy on the Linux side. Maybe. I mean, I, I'd be thrilled if Asahi Linux makes it all the way to making Linux on the Mac uh, super feasible. Uh, they have an alpha that's supposedly pretty good. But yeah, it, it's that trade-off. I think we've spoken about it before where you can either grab something proprietary and closed where they do a super good job of the quality and sort of efficiency of the thing. And I think Apple is firing on all cylinders there where they, for a long time, were sort of hamstrung by Intel and their own stupid over-optimization on sort of thin light, remove all the things. They were shooting themselves in the feet on a regular basis. Now it's mostly the software story that's that's off and on uh, mixed, mixed bag. I'm pretty happy with uh, running a Linux desktop instead. But for travel, I don't think I see anything more compelling than than a MacBook of some variety. And since I don't move around all that often, I think an Air is perfect. Especially also having it in the home and uh, carrying it around. That sounds reasonable. Uh, I think there are some contenders, but if you already like Apple products, they probably don't have a chance. Yeah. So when I've looked at options, I haven't been all that impressed. And I think if I wasn't going for the Mac, I would be looking at the framework one and I would probably be looking at something like a ThinkPad to just get something real workhorsey. Yeah, I'm still quite impressed by the ThinkPad ones. The trick there is to always buy a T ThinkPad or an X ThinkPad or a refurbished T or X because the other letters, they don't deliver the same quality, sadly enough. Okay, so are those sort of the enterprise machines or something? Exactly. And they've been they've been the the high end laptops of Lenovo and IBM for a very long time now. And I've heard good things about Dell have their series of laptops that I've forgotten the name XPS. of. XPS. Which are yeah. They are supposedly very good. Yeah, I've heard super mixed things more recently. For a while there they were supposedly the best. Okay. Like they were the MacBooks of the non-Apple space, essentially, like everyone, <laughs> yeah, everyone was getting those. We're getting those, uh, and more recently, I've heard uh, there's trouble in paradise on that regard. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had one from from as a work laptop, but since I was a consultant, I always got a laptop from each client, so I never used it, yeah. which was a shame many money lying in a bag for a year. Yeah. So, yeah. I find myself actually getting 
a ton more gear and it's still not something I, so for video and audio, I should say, since I do a bunch of video and audio stuff, I get myself the gear and then there's so many USB-C cables. I actually complained recently on Twitter that I've come to realize that I have a ton of devices that want power through USB-C or have a USB-C cable. And I have very few USB-C bricks because no one ships them with devices anymore. You're just expected to have something. And often the cables are USB-A to USB-C, so it's easy enough to use an old USB-A adapter or brick, which of course for many devices won't provide the fastest charge because uh, that'll be, what is it, Uh, 5 volts, 2.4 amps or something. Yeah, if they are big and beefy. Yeah, I think that's the baseline USB one. It is? Oh, cool. I mean, it can probably be lower for specific devices, but I think that's typical. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I've just realized that I have I have a few USB to USB ones, and I have a few USB A to USB C ones, uh, and a few of them are capable of sort of more power. I should probably order a few bricks, <laughs> just some some good quality power. Yeah, that was actually something that was nice about that MacBook Air. One of the bonus things they you you could choose a power brick that had an extra USB C power uh, plug or power. Yeah, I guess uh, a spot to power something USB C based. So it just had one extra, which is nice to have on your main power brick. Yeah, that's a good feature. One thing I can miss with the USB and especially USB-C standard is that there are so many different things that work on the same form factor. It's very hard to know what capabilities a cable has. Yeah. Uh, if if we back, well, if we want to, to be really silly, we can say, okay, serial port. I know exactly what a serial port does and doesn't. Uh, same thing with a parallel port. Um, but those are ancient by now and hardly used. So RJ45 is a bit like, it has almost the same problem. It has the same problem as the USB-C form factor. Because you could get everything from one megabit to uh, a thousand in the same, in a cable that looks the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's it's one of the harder parts of user interface design. Uh, becomes even harder when you need some kind of diagnostic tool to see what you plugged into your computer. Yeah, and the even more tricky side of of USB C and capabilities, I find is like most cables will do your basic USB. Um, like USB 2, USB 3 sort of behaviors. But then there are things that are either Thunderbolt in some manner or, what is it, super speed, I think. So both my monitors that I currently use have the option of plugging in a USB-C shaped cable. 
and you can daisy chain and do a bunch of weird stuff with them. But they have to be these much thicker cables that have uh, that particular level of capability. And I know for some Apple functionality, I believe when you want to do wired sidecar was the name for a while. Uh, if you put have a Mac and an iPad Pro, for example, and you want to connect the two over cable, you can do it over Wi-Fi or you can do it over cable. And if you ha- want to do it over cable, I believe you need... Well, you can't do it with a, just a charging cable because that's wire thin and uh, doesn't do... I don't think that does any data. But then there's this super stiff, very short cable, which is what you can use for a bunch of different sort of high-power... Uh, and high data features with with Mac and uh, well, I guess the the few USB devices that Apple ship, and it's like oh, just I need to find that cable, that particular cable, and I think they charge like three hundred Swedish kroner for it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, USB C is weird in that in that in many regards, but I like it because it. For one thing, just the fact that it can deliver more power, super, super useful. Totally. I can charge my phones very quickly, at least when the power brick is uh, cooperating with me. It has, it did for a couple of days, just not charge anything. So I solved it by, I suppose, restarting the power brick. That is removing it from the power outlet and putting it back again. But until then, I, I walked around with two two phones without any charge in them. Would you say that your power brick was bricked? Absolutely. You had to unbrick it. Or may, Isn't brick a more, more permanent state of state? Well, it depends if you, if you know that that's what, what's going on. It, it can feel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, I, I went into old man shouting at clouds mode and was like I want my cords to work when I use them <laughs> I shouldn't have to double check that things are charging on the other hand this has always been the, the yeah. case with cords so uh, that's an annoying Appleism. Uh, they still haven't done USB-C for the iPhone Oh, they're doing their own property. So they're using the same old lightning connector that I've used for ages, which is USB 2.0. Got it. Over a proprietary connector. Okay. So you can film. Uh, ProRes RAW, I believe, is what you can film on the iPhone Pro models right now. Uh, You can have a terabyte of disk space or storage space on the device. So you could film like a terabyte of cinematic footage. <laughs> then, <laughs> then you have to transfer it. And I wonder if you can't just about beat the transfer speed by... Like there, there's no device you could plug into it that would go particularly fast because it's all going over lightning. But I, I wonder if you couldn't beat it going over a good Wi-Fi. Yeah. Or if USB 2 is just about faster than the Wi-Fi it offers. But, I mean, it's not fast. Transferring a terabyte would be terrible. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, the the iPad Pro I bought a couple of years ago has USB C. It's weird, right? Yeah, it seems. Yeah, something. I wonder why they like Lightning so much. So I, I definitely think it will change. I don't know exactly why they've held off, but I'm sure there's sort of some reason, or they just haven't had a compelling use for the USB-C port yet that they want to show off. So maybe they'll they'll hold off until they have something to to brag about with it. Yeah, it's weird. I actually got a got a hardware device more recently. Let me tell you about my struggles with Linux. Oh, go ahead. That's usually what I'm talking about. So, so this is this is good. Yeah. Th- so this has been my worst Linux install experience for many years. I got my Steam Deck. You got your Steam Deck. I never thought you would <laughs> you would get it. So on the twenty seventh of May, I got a notice, or I checked the, the tracking information for my Steam Deck. I found out that it was being delivered today. And I was like, yay, I get it on a Friday. I can play with it on the weekend. Fantastic. It didn't happen. Oh, oh bummer. No. Well, that can happen. Like deliveries is a tough business right now. Or rather, it's uh, it's a little bit swamped. I understand. It can happen. I'll, I'll be a grown-up. Then I was like, <laughs> throughout the weekend, hoping that the delivery would come which that's not how it works. They don't deliver on weekends here. Uh, but I kept forgetting that it was the weekend and my wife had to keep reminding me. I was like a small child, disappointed every time. And then Monday, nope, Tuesday, nope. It kept saying it was out for delivery. I think I waited until the 30th or 31st something before I sent an email to the delivery company. I was like, hey, I hadn't haven't gotten an update on this. It's weird. Where is it? And they were like, uh... Not sure. It seems to be missing. This is the tracking information for the local uh, or the Swedish organization that's that's handling it. So it ended up being Schenker. So I checked it out on their site and got the information that it was being delivered to my local grocery store, which has a package handling. All right, fair enough. I guess while they investigate, I can try calling that and seeing if they've seen it and uh yeah a bit of kerfuffle later um, called them and gave them the reference number and they were like yeah that seems like it has arrived but it hasn't been given a shelf number let me check this is strange (laughs) like i heard them rummage in the background as they put me on hold yeah uh, for about 10 minutes before they were like oh yeah here it is (laughs) Wow. So then I drove over and, and fetched it. I was like, yeah, okay, human factor, that happens. Uh, but unfortunate and annoying. I, I was mostly very glad that it hadn't gone lost or stolen because there's a lot of weight for Steam Deck. Take it home and it's like, yeah, wife is with the kid and they're having a nap. I think I have about two hours to play with this thing. I get to set it up. That will probably take some time, but it's fine. Uh, and then I might be able to at least start to try a game because that's sort of, that's part of what I want to do with it, play games. And the, uh, like I go through setting up, like selecting my language, so selecting my time zone, setting up my Wi-Fi, click through and it's like checking for updates. Oh, something, uh, just some message 
uh, flashes past and then it restarts. I'm like, oh, I guess it updated. Uh, I needed a restart. Starts up again. I select my location. It remembers what the location was or my language. I select the time zone, which it remembers. It remembers my Wi-Fi. I click through. It flashes a message I can't read and then restarts. Okay. Yeah, maybe it had another update. Maybe. I try a few more times, like five times or so. Nothing. I can't get past it. Then I spend all of this two-hour period plus some more faffing about with a recovery image. And uh, so I put a newer version of the OS on it. I also give it cabled internet access, which seems like it would possibly helped. And later I find out that a few people have gotten through this glitchy process by just doing it like 10 plus times. But I, I did a full recovery, which I will tell you, I didn't have an appropriately fast USB flash drive anywhere. And I ended up flashing it through the USB, probably at USB 2 speeds off of a Windows computer I had around. That took probably over an hour, just burning the the bits to, so I guess it was six gigs or something, uh, image, to the drive from BZIP2. And then uh, that took a while to install. And it's like, I've never had problems with a Linux setup like this. Not, not, since, uh, not since the 2000s, essentially. Now, I think I had less problems setting up Slackware 7. Did you use diskettes for Slackware 7? No, no. Uh, that was one CD, I think. Ah, good stuff. Uh, because my, my hypothesis is that you would have had less problems with diskettes than your hand with your Steam Deck. Yeah, and I mean, this is probably just something unfortunate about that particular process, either being very sensitive to slightly iffy Wi-Fi or there's there's some other issue there. But me, I've seen multiple people report having some level of issue there, some very little, some a lot. But it, it's a super bad and unfortunate first experience. As sort of as a Linux user, nerd, and developer, I wasn't really that worried. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I can probably fix this. Like, there, there's something stupid going on. But I could also not get to any useful logs easily. Or so, if I could do an Alt F2 or something, maybe I could have. If I plugged in a keyboard, maybe that's what I should have done. Then maybe I could have seen what happened, but probably not. But once I had it up and running, uh, it just had to run a gazillion updates. And then it's it's been a nice device to play around and play some games on uh, for now. But yeah, Linux installs. This is like an end consumer device. That's when I have problems with my Linux install. Not when I'm doing, what did I do to this computer? I picked Pop OS, which is supposedly very user-friendly and all, but it's also relatively new compared to. It's not the most stable and established choice. Uh, so, But I picked Pop OS for this computer, and then I put Regolith, uh, the Regolith desktop sort of distribution environment thingy on it, which is a step away from what it ships with and could potentially cause a lot of trouble. Has worked fine. I mean, I've had issues with this, but not in, in the install. Well, the Steam Deck just 
this consumer device that I paid good money for. And it's like, yeah, yeah, suffer through this hour-long recovery process, please. Not the best experience, unfortunately. I can totally see that. Wow. I wonder if it would have gone better if they had, like, tried to do this. Because one one of the things that usually occur is that QA work, quality assurance work, is done in really good conditions. Yeah, like perfect Wi-Fi and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Local update servers. <laughs> yeah. So so I wonder what, what would have happened if they had moved uh, <laughs> moved the QA center to a place with bad Wi-Fi, or at least for a day. Yeah, and like my Wi-Fi is not necessarily bad, but I think it might have have some occasional packet loss or something. I'm not entirely sure what's up with the Wi-Fi, but it's a little bit dodgy at times. That sounds like Wi-Fi to me. Yeah, it, it's pretty fast, though. So like, I get a, a decent uh, download speed and all. But yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Uh, but it's been, it's been a nice device to play on. It's like uh, good for Slay the Spire on the couch. Yeah. Let's see, what else have I been playing with it? Trying a few different things. But it's it seems like a nice device. I've added a, an emulator or two to it as well. And uh, I guess I need to get some ROMs before I can really try that. But um, then I, I've i been to the desktop mode and played around mostly when I was installing the emulator because that's not on Steam. But there's a ton of stuff I want to try with it. So I'm, I'm actually, I know of a project that, Frank Hanleth of Nerves put together for uh, benchmarking when he was testing out the ARM uh, just-in-time stuff that came with OTP25. Uh, He was trying it on a Raspberry Pi 4. So there's a benchmark suite that should be pretty convenient to run. And I'm curious to try sort of the running those benchmarks on a bunch of different machines I have. So I have have an M1 Mac Mini. I have this ridiculous workstation. I have put together i have the steam deck there's a few different things um that i'm curious curious to run it on partially just because i i have no idea how how performance varies between these these different machines and i i'm really curious about sort of these very efficient m1 max for example and how for one thing i'm very curious how the beam which doesn't as far as I know, have an idea about what kind of core it's running on, like efficiency versus performance cores. And these are like uh, asymmetrical cores. So does that have a bunch of consequences for performance and stuff? I'm not sure this benchmark specifically would speak to that. But yeah, I've been curious to, to try benchmarking some stuff and then maybe later try to build some more uh, little real-world web service benchmarks at some point. So you're going to run a web service on your Steam Deck? Sure. Cool. I mean, it's KDE. Ah, oh, good point. <laughs> it's not that hard. Yeah. Is it a x86 CPU somewhere? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's... Uh, I was going to say ARM-based. That, that, uh, that would have contradicted Indeed. my previous answer. No, it's AMD-based. Oh, cool. It's an AMD device. Yeah. So it's based on their recent work. What is it? RDNA or Zen, Zen 2, Zen 3. Uh, it, it's the recent Ryzen's 
maybe not the newest ones. Sounds good. But it's one of these uh, all-in-one devices, so it has CPU and GPU. That's pretty decent. I've played some Rocket League on it. That's probably the most demanding I've asked of it so far. I guess I should sort of install The Witcher 3 and try that just for sake of it. Yep. You need to do that now. Yeah, install install will take a bit of time though. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll I'll use that Ethernet adapter again. That that's also like I'm really optimistic about the console in spite of the troubles I had because I like that it's a computer. <laughs> so when I want to do something with it, that's not convenient with uh, game controls. Like for one thing, I can switch to the desktop mode, which is not thrilling to use with. <laughs> With the uh, with the gamepad controls and stuff, they've they've built a decent way of working with it. But it's the keyboarding is annoying, and I haven't found a control key yet and stuff. Uh, but they have a s- sort of on-screen keyboard you can summon and dismiss, and you can control the cursor in a few different ways, which is which is good. But yeah, I mean that'll require some tuning. But they're focused on the gaming for for obvious reasons. But I mean I connected uh, i've i've connected a usb hub to it and shoved a proper keyboard into it and all of that stuff and i mean i don't think they sell it yet i don't know that they do but they are intending to sell a dock for it as well where you can just plug that usb c in and get all the useful ports broken out it's a computer and you can use it as a computer which is nice there's something special with a general computing device yeah I should get a good USB, uh, no, a, a good Bluetooth uh, keyboard and pointing device uh, that fits with this thing, because ideally I wouldn't want it want to have to occupy a USB port with some Logitech dongle or Microsoft dongle, because it only has the one USB C port, and then I would have to split that out to multiple ports and stuff. So, the Steam Deck is a device that also needs more ports. I mean, ideally, it would have more ports, but I think it's fair that it only has the one and then then you break that out. I think it's a pretty competent port. It might be sort of Thunderbolt 4 or something, I, or USB 4.0 or whatever they're called nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't checked. But I know it's supposed to be able to do a bunch of things cool. with that port. And I've tried Ethernet. I've tried multiple USB-A's via um, Hub. And uh, I, <laughs> I tried to, so I tried to, uh, when I realized how slow the USB 2 stick was going to be to format and uh, image, I actually w- went like, oh, I do have some fast media. I'm going to have to get myself a USB-C based stick, but <laughs> I, was, I was trying things. So I went out and got my card reader. And I got one of my fast cards from from the camera that's currently in uh, the repair center. Separate story for that one. Um, so I got the card reader. And I got a fast SD card. So I went out into my office and imaged the recovery image there. And like, the entire setup is much faster. Like Every part of the chain is significantly faster than whatever I was using in there in my house. And I think I imaged it in like an excruciating eight minutes or something. Unfortunately, uh, it could boot off of it, I think, but it couldn't 
install off of it properly. Ouch. Yeah. So then I went back in and was happy that I hadn't interrupted the image that was started. That was started. So once I knew it was uh, was not working, it was at least close-ish to done. <sighs> but this is why I need a faster USB stick. Yep. But yeah, I did get a good camera for for the videos I make. I got myself a better camera. A more serious one with all a bunch of features. It's Sony A7C. So it's a fairly serious camera, but not of the extremely serious variety, which is much, much pricier. And uh, it was starting out great. And then my editor told me, there's noise on on the audio, audio recording. I'm like, what? That's not supposed to be noise in the audio recording. Went to investigate. Ne- or for the next recording, I, I sat down and investigated beforehand. I was like, put in, put my monitors into into the output for the monitoring output on the camera. And I was like, yep, there's a background uh, noise that's just like electrical noise. I tried a few different things, plugged in different microphones. It was always there. Only time it went away was when the uh, when the microphone was off, like the mic circuit was off when I was in menus and stuff. Uh, then it completely went away. Uh, fiddled around a bunch and I was like, oh, wait, it went away. It's like while I was pressing and fiddling with the mic jack, I was like, oh, n- wait. <laughs> then I re- realized the mic jack was wiggling. Oh, no. And if I pressed it slightly harder, uh, the sound would be good again. And if I released it, it was worse. And if I put it a little bit to an angle, it was even worse. So it was loose. Ouch. Yeah. Handed it in. Uh, it's like the the warranty will cover it. Uh, it's apparently in the repair center in progress, but I don't get much in the way of progress reports. I, I actually contacted the shop and asked specifically for progress report because I wasn't even told that the warranty claim was sort of accepted or anything. <laughs> It's like, that matters. These cameras are pricey and I want them back. Yeah, you but yeah. Uh, apparently the parts have uh have arrived and I'm waiting for a technician to do the work and whatever. This was a few days ago, so hopefully it's on its way shortly. Sounds good. Maybe it will end up in a random place in the Package handling place at your local store. <laughs> I hope this is home delivery. It was last time, so I think it will be. Yeah, that would um, be good. Yeah. Huh. I'm I'm really enjoying learning about sort of audio and video work. <laughs> <laughs> I brought a ton of that stuff when we went to the conference. I had a ton of small yeah. video gear and audio gear with me, but I didn't find a moment's time to to try it out. No, it was it was. <laughs> the schedule was really packed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I yeah, maybe maybe some other conference in a galaxy far far away. Yeah, I, I think I would need to find some some practice in sort of prepping that kind of thing, like setting up the the opportunities and uh, probably offloading some of what I was up to to my my darling employees, which were <laughs> on their first real big conference like this it was uh, it was a good time we should talk about it sometime yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs>